We all know that a bris takes place during the day. The question is, at which point in history did that become a thing? Because if you have a look at our parasha, it seems to indicate that the obligation to give a bris milah only during the day is something which only began after the giving of the Torah. And prior to the giving of the Torah, it wasn't necessarily an issue. Now, we're going to take that to explore a midrash that indicates that when the Jews were about to leave Egypt, many of them circumcised themselves before the Koran Pesach at night. And we want to understand how that was possible, and is it just simply because it was permitted before the Torah was given, where you still have to wonder, even though it's permitted, why is it recommended? Surely Hashem should have come up with a system to ensure that even before the Torah was given, the Jews would circumcise themselves in a way that is aligned with how it's supposed to be after the Torah was given. And we'll look at various suggestions of how we could work around it, and eventually come to the conclusion that the night prior to leaving Egypt was a, li- a night like none other, a night that was effectively bright as day, and that's not just physically, it's, it carries a very important spiritual connotation, and we'll explore that spiritual connotation because it expresses much of what Judaism is all about, and gives us a very important take-home lesson. So all of this hinges on a pasuk in our parasha Tazria, which says, ala pasuk, on the end, on the eighth day, you should circumcise the child's orla. So, so based on this, both the Medrash and the Gemara conclude that it's telling us that a bris has to take place specifically during the day and not at night. If you follow the interpretation of the Midrash and of the Gemara, then the implication is that the prohibition against having a bris at night, that you have to have the bris during the daytime, is something that was only introduced after the Torah was given at Har Sinai. The implication is that before the Torah was given, it was acceptable to have a bris at night, something which, of course, to us sounds completely absurd. Even though if you look in the Gemara Shabbos, there's another source for the idea of having a bris and having it on the eighth day. And that comes from Pashas Lech Lecha, the original instruction that Hashem gave to Abraham Avinu that all eight-day-old members of his family had to have a bris. In fact, when you have a look at Tosfos' commentary on that Gemara, he seems to indicate they seem to indicate that the primary source for having a bris is actually from there. Still, there, when it insists that a bris has to be during the day, the implication is that's only if the bris is done on the correct day, i.e., day eight. But if you have a look closely over there in that Gemara, specifically in Toysavus, you'll discover that if a bris for any reason has to be rescheduled, let's say the baby has a medical uh, challenge, and you cannot have the bris on the eighth day, and it gets pushed out, the fact that a dafka has to be during the day and not, for example, the night following the eighth day, that is from this parasha, because it says not on the eighth day he shall circumcise, but and, and any time the Torah uses the expression and, it's to include more information we would not necessarily have known. So we come back to our original point, which is that the idea of having to give a bris, dafka, during the daytime is something that was introduced only with the giving of the Torah and did not apply prior to that. So that's immediately going to uh, take us to a midrash, which we'll use to explain this concept a little bit further. In other words, the difference between the bris before and after the giving of the Torah. The Biroinian Yeshla Haktim is Dibriya Medrash, so to understand this properly, we'll have a look at the Medrash, which tells us, Shibizman Shah Yusobimitzraim, when the Yidin was still in Egypt. 
Many of them were afraid. They did not want to make the resolution to have a bris. So, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shiyasu Pesach. So, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to make his own carbon Pesach. The cave and Shalsa Moshe Sa Pesach. And once Moshe Rabbeinu made his carbon Pesach, then Goza HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Dadruch HaSailam Chulei. Then Hashem instructed all the winds from the different directions of the world to go. Hol Chavanit Ukhuboi Se Pesach Chulei. To go into Gan Eden and to bring the fragrance of Gan Eden and to have that fragrance become part of the fragrance of the carbon Pesach that Moshe was bringing. And then spread that smell right throughout the Jewish neighborhoods. So Niskan, so call you Solei Moshe. And then all the Yidden came to Moshe and they said, Please, please let us have some of your Korban Pesach. So Moshe said, you could have the greatest of pleasure, but you have to have a bris first, because the Pasuk says, any person who is uncircumcised may not participate in the Korban Pesach. And then they went and they had a bris. So according to this Midrash, when did they didn't have a bris? A simple reading of this Midrash indicates that the Jews at that point circumcised themselves when? At night, the night of Pesach. The Yisrael came, more specifically, both the Medrash we've just quoted, and particularly as the Medrash appears in Sher Hashem Rabbah, Mashma, if you read the wording of the Medrash, particularly the way that it's said in Shir Hashem Rabbah, the Yidin didn't even know that there was a concept of having a bris in order to eat from the Korban Pesach until this incident. Then when they came to Moshe and said, please, can we have Korban Pesach? And then he told them, you have to first have a bris. That's like the first time they realized that there was that correlation. And now they went to have a bris. Again, seeming to imply that the Dafka circumcised themselves at night. They knew move on, which raises an interesting question. Okay, let's go with what we said originally. That prior to the Torah being given, it was permissible, it was acceptable to have a bris at night. But we certainly have to understand, if not in plain halachic terminology, at least from a spiritual perspective, seeing as the story is that a very large portion of the Jewish community didn't have a bris up until this point when the Abish just started a system with the wind bringing the aroma of Ganadin etc which means that Hashem so to speak forced their hands using this beautiful fragrance to get them to have a bris Surely, Hashem could have come up with a system to encourage the Jews to have a bris when it was still daytime. And then Moshe could have explained to them that in order to be able to eat from the Koran Pesach, they would have to have a bris, and they could have done it during the daytime, and everything could have been fine. In other words, it's acceptable to have a bris at night before the Torah is given. The question is, why does Hashem Dafka want the original story of the Koran Pesach to include a bris? That Dafka happened at night. Seems strange. So, some of the commentaries on the Medrash try to explain, and we'll see whether or not we're happy with those explanations. So the Yafeitoyer explanation of the Medrash says, well, here's one possibility. Actually, the whole story of them being forced to have a bris and smelling the aroma of the Korm Pesach did all happen while it was still daylight. And he gives two reasons why this is logical. Firstly, because at night it would have been Yom Tov. 
And if you're giving somebody a bris and it's not the eighth day, you may not do so in Yom Tov. Now, these were adults, so they had passed the eighth day a long time ago. So the Feitoria says it's impossible that they were having a bris at night when it was already Yom Tov. And plus, you don't have a bris at night. So that's his explanation. And therefore, it must be that this entire episode occurred while it was still during the day. The Rebbe is not so happy with that. It's not possible to explain that way. If you have a look in Shir Hashirim Rabba, where it explains the Pasuk that says, and while the king was sitting in his great feast, and the Medrash there says clearly, who is the king? The king is Moshe Rabbeinu, even though the other opinions in the Medrash would say that it's referring to Hashem. But when it starts to talk about the Korban Pesach, it says Moshe is the king, and he was sitting at his feast, you know, he was eating his Korban Pesach, and that's when all of this happened, and suddenly the people were stimulated to want to have a bris. So then it's clear that it had to be at night. Because it's very clear from the Medrash that this entire occurrence was once Moshe and other Yidden were sitting eating the Korban Pesach. And if they're eating the Korban Pesach, eating the Korban Pesach had to be at night, not before it was dark. So the Efeitoyah's suggestion that the people had a bris before it was dark, doesn't work with the words of the Medrash. Now, the Yafetar said, but there are two arguments why it's impossible they had a bris at night, because you're not allowed to break Yom Tov to have a bris, and because you can't have a bris at night. Well, So there are two good reasons why those two arguments don't necessarily hold water. Because of Mishnei Taimim, for two reasons. Number one, Aleph, Komeriel, as we've already shown, the idea that you may not circumcise a person if it's not the eighth day, you may not do so at night. We're only going to learn about after the Torah was given. This is Pesach Mitzrayim. This is before the Jews have left. They are far away from Har Sinai. They haven't yet received the Torah. And there's no prohibition at this point against having a bris at night. Likewise, more specifically, and there is slight nuance over here, and the Rebbe will unpack the nuance, but the point is that the, the, the Pesach of Mitzrayim was not a classical Yom Tov. So the Yafei Torah says you may not transgress Yom Tov by circumcising a person who is not on eighth day and Bizman or having the bris in the right time. Well, was the night of the original Pesach Mitzrayim actually a Yom Tov? No. Shekane. Even though at the same time the Jews were told that they would have to make a carbon Pesach, they were also told that the holiday of Pesach would have a first day and a seventh day, each of which would be holy days where you may not permit, where you may not perform any of these prohibited actions, which would include having a bris, if it's not bismano. Yes, the information was available to them, but clearly when Hashem told Moshe that information, he was not talking about Pesach Mitzrayim, because Pesach Mitzrayim is a one-day affair, and the Pesach there says very clearly, on day one and on day seven, which only applied to Pesach in the future, after the Eden had left Mitzrayim. Parenthetically, now, you might want to try and wrangle this and argue, yes, the Torah is speaking about a Pesach which has a first day and a seventh day, but there are two independent laws. 
there's a law of the first day of Yom Tov Pesach, which would also apply, perhaps you'd argue, in Egypt. And then there's the law of the seventh day of Pesach, which is irrelevant at this particular point in time. We're not going to accept that argument, key for two reasons. Number one, Well, straight away, the Pasuk says, no melacha may be done on them. It immediately refers to a plural. Which implies that it's a single instruction that refers to two days, as opposed to two instructions. One for day one of Yom Tov, which would even include Pesach Mitzrayim, and a separate one for the seventh day, which would only apply to a regular Pesach. That's not possible. It's one expression that says you may not work on those days altogether. Plus, if you have a look in the Mechilta, commenting on this Pasuk that says you may not work on these days, says as follows, and it's quite important to read this just to understand clearly. I only know clearly from the Pasuk that the seventh day, the last day of Pesach, it is forbidden for a person to do any of the different kinds of forbidden types of work. How do I know that you're not allowed to work also on the first day of Pesach? Therefore the Torah tells me, Therefore the Torah says that the first day is a holy day as well. In other words, if you read the Pasuk, that you may not do work, sounds like it's attached to the seventh day of Pesach. It's only once we acknowledge that the first day is called Mikra Kodesh and we see the correlation, oh, you may not also work on the first day of Pesach. In other words, it's pretty clear that knowing that you may not do forbidden work on the first day of Pesach is contingent on the seventh day of Pesach. So, Nimtza... So the way that the that the mechilta uh, says it implies that the primary prohibition against work is on the seventh day of Pesach, and we derive the same laws for the first day of Pesach from the seventh day. In other words. So now it goes without saying, at time of Pesach Mitzrayim, where there's only one day of celebrating Pesach, because they're not celebrating yet the Geula, they're preparing for the Geula, so it's a one-day affair. If there's no seventh day, which is the Iker, it's the primary area where this prohibition against work sits, automatically it doesn't apply to the day of Pesach itself. And number three, even to use the expression the first day would be irrelevant when you're talking about Pesach Mitzrayim because first implies first of a series of days and Pesach Mitzrayim was only one day. So whichever way you look at it, the two arguments that the Yafetoya wanted to try to use as compelling arguments, why it had to have been that Moshe was eating or at least preparing his carbon Pesach during the day, and everybody had a bris during the day, because you cannot do a bris at night. Well, you actually can if it's before the giving of the Torah, and you cannot do a bris if it's for a person who's not on the eighth day and it's now Yom Tov. Well, actually you can, because Pesach Mitzrayim is not a classical Yom Tov. So we don't have those issues, which means that it is quite likely, and according to the Midrash, it actually happened, that everybody had a bris, or many people had a bris at, at night, on the first Pesach, we're back to square one. Why would Hashem have orchestrated things in such a way that they should have a bris at night when really it's not the correct way? A bris should be during the day. Now, there is an individual opinion of the run. You look at the run on Psachim and he talks about it, that even Pesach Mitzrayim also included restrictions against Melacha, so technically by rights, you should not be able to have a bris. 
יש יאשס הכושי על המדרש איך דרך המילה שלא בזמן עשה יום טוב, we'd still be able to solve for the midrash and say, look, under normal circumstances, if a person is having a bris not on the eighth day, it may not be done on Yom Tov. However, let's have a look at the specific wording that the Medrash Hashem Rabbah used, based on a Pasuk that we are familiar with. Um, it's a Pasuk in Tinnim, but it's a Pasuk also that we say in our davening, in our bedtime Shema every night. And we're going to pick up one word out of that that's really important. That they were all, um, all these, uh, sorry, it's not from Tilim, it's from Sheh Hashirim, but we know it from, uh, from uh, Krishma Shalamita. So what does the Pasuk say? It says that there were all these powerful soldiers who stood around Shlomo Amalek's bed, all holding their, uh, they were all holding swords, all trained in, uh, in the, the art of war, and each person with his sword on his loins. So the Medrash specifies that when they heard that they had have a bris, each person immediately took his own sword and circumcised himself. Now we have to wonder, why is that relevant to us? If the message is that they all had a bris, we don't need the details of exactly how they did it and whose implement they used. So why is that relevant to us? Surely the most important point of the story is that they circumcised themselves, not what tool they used to do so. And second of all, And why does the Medrash make a big deal that it was each person took his own sword? We don't really mind whose sword you used. The story is that they were dedicated to have a breast at that point in time, and they did it. So why is it important to know that each person used his sword? Elo. The reason it's important is because it tackles the question, how could you have a bris if it's not bismana on Yom Tov? When is it forbidden to do a bris for someone if it's not on the eighth day and now it's Yom Tov? That's only forbidden if you do a bris in the normal fashion, which is with an ismal, which means that the, you know, the moyles special blade that he uses there, sharp, sharp uh, surgical blade that he uses. But if a person does a bris with a sword, a sword would not be the normal implement, which would mean now you're doing the melacha in a way that is shaloi kedarko, not in the ordinary fashion. And as far as the Torah is concerned, the Rabbonin would not allow it. But as far as the Torah is concerned, if a person chooses to do a melacha in an unusual way, that's acceptable. That's why the Medrash specifies that how did they do a bris? Specifically with a sword. And not just that. Now, if it just used the word cherev in the most colloquial sense, the most general sense, a sword, we know from the Haftar in the first day of Pesach that when Yehoshua went into Eretz Yisrael, he was told to fashion these bris swords in order to circumcise the Jewish people. So in other words, it is acceptable to use the word cherev to refer to the sword slash scalpel that is used for a bris. That's why the Medrash emphasized that it was dafka, their personal swords, which were not implements of a bris miller, they were implements of war. These are the people who are melumdei milchama, they are trained in war, to highlight for us 
that this is shaloi kedarka. It's not the normal way of doing the melacha, which is technically acceptable according to Torah. So if that's the case, and we find a way that it is acceptable for them to have a bris at night without transgressing Yom Tov, we're back to the original question, why would Hashem want them dafka to have a bris at night if that is so not the ordinary way of doing so? So so we'll answer all of this based on an, an answer that he's brought in various achronim to tackle the question of how come the Yidin had a bris at night. So they say, So the Zohar tells us that the night of Pesach was in the class of what's called where the night will shine as day. So technically, even though it was night on the clock, technically it had the properties of daytime and therefore was acceptable to do a bris that night. So the Hikshal Zeh, but of course you realize that's going to raise a big question in its own right. <laughs> so now you can't really have it both ways, surely. How can you tell me that the night of Pesach was considered like day, therefore you could have a bris, but yet you say it's considered like night, therefore you could eat a carbon Pesach and matzah tomorrow? So which one is it? Is it night or is it day? It seems like we're picking and choosing to serve it to satisfy ourselves. So therefore we have no choice but to conclude that the night of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was night for all areas of Halacha, like the current Pesach and the Matzah and the Maror, except when it came to a bris, somehow, for some reason, that's going to be very important for us because it will help shape our understanding of what exactly happened there and what it means for the whole of Judaism, Specifically, when it comes to a bris, then the night has the status of day. And the obvious reason is because when the Torah contextualizes the what they had to do with eating the Korban Pesach, it says clearly that that had to be at night. So clearly, with regards to the Korban Pesach, it's considered a night. Yet, with regards to the bris, the fact that Hashem orchestrated the system that made them have a bris at night means that somehow with regards to a bris, that night was considered like day. What does that mean? You'll never understand this just through pure legalistic Judaism. We have to look at Pneumia Soinyan. We have to look at something spiritual, what Chassidus has to say about it. So we need to understand what is it about the mitzvah of Mila, about having a bris, that dafka with regards to a bris, that's when we have this unique situation where the night is considered like a day. We know that everything around Pesach, and that's what the name represents, is leaps and bounds, not caught in the normal incremental processes of nature. The entire Pesach experience, leaps and bounds, class of its own, exponential growth, quantum leaps. Because if not for these Pesach leaps, we could never have gotten out of Mitzrayim, both from a physical and a spiritual perspective. If 
From a physical perspective, no slave had ever escaped from Egypt, so how could we? From a spiritual perspective, we were at the 49th level of impurity, Rahman al-Ritzlan, so we didn't deserve to get out. So if things were going to progress incrementally, naturally, there's no way out of Mitzrayim. We need the Pesach. We need Lamayla Mimidida Bagbola. How do you break the bounds of the normal, incremental, natural order of this world? Only in one way. The only way that you break the boundaries of this world is you've got to start higher up and break everything about the nature of the spiritual hierarchy called Seydeshtalshlus. And how do you do that? There's only one way, and that's to bombard it with incredibly intense power and energy that is beyond the system. How do you change the system? From beyond the system. So the only way that anything on Pesach began was by Hashem radiating into the world an energy and light that is beyond the whole Seydeshtalshlus, beyond all of the hierarchies, not only of the physical natural order, but of the spiritual order too. Now nothing can happen in the spiritual order unless it initiates in Torah itself. Anything that exists is stimulated by what exists in Torah. So whatever's going to happen in the world is first going to happen in Torah. So this notion of introducing into Seydeh Hishtalshlus an energy and power that is completely beyond Seydeh Hishtalshlus must first begin within Torah. If we're looking to bring into the world an energy that is beyond where the world originates, where the power and driving force of the world originates, so then what we need to do is we have to start with Torah, and that means we have to find a dimension of Torah that is beyond how Torah presents in its normal, organized, understandable fashion. Meaning there's a component of Torah that is beyond the so-called medidois, the limits of Torah. So that's why the Ebeshter Dafka came up with a plan where, where Moshe would not allow the Jewish people to know the idea that you cannot participate in the Korban Pesach unless you've had a bris until it's already dark. Hashem wanted it specifically to happen at night. Because Hashem Dafka wanted the bris at that point in time to specifically be at night. Hashem wanted the experience of the breast then to be in a way that is beyond how it would eventually present in the normal, organized Torah that would follow post-Matan Torah where you cannot have a breast at night. Here, Hashem wants something unexpected. So now, because Hashem has orchestrated not just a strange situation to entice Jews to have a bris when they didn't want to, but a stranger situation that that bris should take place at night, at that point Hashem has shattered all of the rules, the rules of nature, the rules of spiritual hierarchy, and even the rules of Torah itself. Once Hashem shatters the framework of Torah as we know it, 
that allows the shattering of the and allows this incredibly powerful energy to come in that precipitates Pesach. Dilug jumps, leaps, quantum leaps. One of the incredible things that happens at this point in time is you now suddenly have Hashem revealing Himself in every component of His glory. Where? In Eretz Yisrael, a place that is chock full of idolatry to the point that under normal circumstances, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu had to step out of the city in order to speak to Hashem. Hashem doesn't belong in such a traif, tame, impure place. According to the spiritual hierarchy, it is an impossibility for Eloikus to be revealed in a place of such tumor. So the fact that Hashem reveals Himself in such an incredible way, Dafka in Mitzrayim, that eventually is what breaks the natural order which says Jews cannot leave Egypt. No slave could leave Egypt. And especially Jews who are so submerged in impurity cannot leave it. All of those rules break. So where does it start? Break the rules of Torah. Only Hashem can do that. You and I cannot do that. Hashem says, break the rules of Torah, have a bris at night. That will break the structure of, uh, of Hishtal Shalos. So therefore there can be Gilo Elikus even in Mitzrayim. That will break the natural constraints, and therefore the Jews can leave. Okay, shame. Now, whenever there's an introduction of something powerful into this world from Hashem to us, the expectation is that we'll do something powerful of our own. So Hashem's breaking His rules and bringing uh, Elikus into the world in a way that makes no sense and is impacting the physical world in a way that's unprecedented and He's changing the structure and, and, and restrictions of Torah. So we have to do something in our own lives that pushes us completely beyond ourselves too. That's why the preparation for us to leave Mitzrayim is that we had to do these two radical things, have a bris and slaughter the lamb of Egypt as a carbon Pesach. Both of these mitzvahs pushed us to behave in a way that was beyond our own uh, expectations, the rubric that we lived in. Pesach so the carbon Pesach speaks to the theme of Pesach jumping in a way that's beyond all restrictions. And a bris is eternal, which means it's beyond the restrictions of time. And it's for this reason that we'll discover that there's something absolutely unique about these two mitzvahs. Generally speaking, a mitzvah, if a person breaks a serious transgression in, in Torah, that could break their relationship, God forbid, with Hashem. But usually if a person desists from doing a positive mitzvah, they just simply lose an opportunity. What's unique about both Pesach and Mila is they're positive mitzvahs, and yet if a person doesn't get to do them, the impact is as if they had transgressed a serious negative mitzvah. Both of these are mitzvahs that the lack of performing them could cut somebody off from Hashem. So if you're talking about something which is completely beyond the structure and the system of Seide Ishtalshlus, you're talking about something that has no gray areas. You're either connected or you're not connected. Either you're beyond Ishtalshalus, or you're not beyond Ishtalshalus. There's no midway, there's no half measures. So 
from the perspective of higher than say the either you're absolutely connected to Hashem in an eternal fashion as represented by the bris, or you're absolutely disconnected from Hashem completely, the concept of kores. In fact, Yitzhak Mitzrayim itself carries the same theme. Either you break all of the rules, and the rules of physical nature, spiritual hierarchy, and Torah itself, and the Jews get out, or you don't break all of those rules, and the Jews are, God forbid, stuck. So therefore, this uniqueness of the night of Exodus being a night where it's like day, specifically keyed into the bris mila. Because in order to access this incredibly unique dimension of godliness, where light, dark, it actually makes no difference, it's all completely overwhelmed by the revelation of Hashem's infinite essence, how do you get there? Only if you've done something in your world, which is an avoider beyond, beyond time, space, commitment, understanding, rules, comfort, etc. And that was the bris. And now we can distinguish between how bris mila existed before the Torah was given and how it is now. It actually turns out that the ultimate state of a bris mila, breaking all of the boundaries and barriers, happens dafka before the Torah is given. Why? That bris that the Jews had back then was incredibly radical because it took them from a realm of absolute impurity and catapulted them into a realm of absolute holiness. Took people who were at the 49th level of impurity and shut them all the way up to be able to ex- experience Hashem's absolute revelation. Total quantum leap. So therefore there are no boundaries, no limits, no natural restraints, no difference between light and dark, night and day. But after the Torah was given, there's no such thing as an impure Jew. There's no such thing as a Jew who has to be catapulted out of the clutches of impurity to get close to Hashem. Every Jew is now automatically connected to Hashem, thanks to the giving of the Torah and the neshama we were endowed with. So today when you have a bris, the bris that you have lives inside the world of holiness. You're moving from one state of holiness, being intrinsically holy, to a different state of holiness, being revealed as holy. So therefore we don't actually have the same degree of radical transformation in today's bris as they had in the bris before the Torah was given. And so it's no distinction of light, day, it's all the same. No, there's light and there's dark. There's night and there's day. And there is a distinction between them because I'm operating in a world that actually has rules and has boundaries. And I'm in the healthy boundary. And this teaches us a great personal lesson. The avoid of leaving Mitzrayim is a daily exercise for every single one of us. 
שכן כל מדרגה בבחינת מצרים אלא שהם יצרים גבולים לגבי מדרגה של המים הממנו. Wherever you are in your spirituality today is a מצרים compared to where you should be in the next step. ובשואה שצריך עוד מלצאת ממצרים, אלוב לא דע שאין בזה קומן דידוס והגבולויס, אפילו לא ימדידוס יותר כבר יוכל. And when it's time for a person to break out of their מצרים and move to the next level, there should be no limits, not even the limits that you perceive based on Torah. הדרך המבור בתניא שכשאדם ניצא בפני אבר חס ושון מבחינת גולדוס מצרים על רוצן העליין. So like Tanya, the Altarebbe explains, when a person is confronted with the proposition of an Avera, God forbid, going against what Hashem wants, a personal Mitzrayim, then a person cannot and dare not distinguish between what they believe to be the least important Avera or the most serious Avera. Because if you're looking at it from the perspective of Hashem's will, which is completely beyond all Hishtal Shalut, small, big, makes no difference. Either you're doing what Hashem wants or you're not doing what Hashem wants. And that would motivate every person, even a person who is not so spiritual and not so learned, to give their all to the point of sacrifice, not to go against one thing that Hashem wants. And we certainly then can remove the distinctions between day and night. A person shouldn't then make any distinction. Am I now in a bright time of my life where spirituality is part of my life or a dark time in my life when I'm feeling a little bit lost? It should make no difference if I'm motivated or tired. If I have uh, the right motivation, the, the right interests or the wrong temptations. The person should take the incredible power represented by the Jews at this point in time, pull out the sword, circumcise themselves, symbolically, obviously. And have an absolute commitment to be absolutely connected to Hashem without any restrictions and any limitations in a way that is beyond time and space. And every one of us is capable of that.